Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are starting a new series, and the conversation today is called An Introduction to Joy. The question for you all to get started with is, what's the hardest that you've ever laughed? Enjoy. If I had to say that there was a word for New Abbey for 2019, that word would be maturity. <laughs> that I think in Los Angeles in 2019, particularly for progressive Christians, maturity is something that's a little bit more challenging. And part of the reason for that is that there's just so much energy that it takes to find healing. There's so much energy that it takes to find transformation. And healing and transformation are an incredible gift. But the great gift is eventually when you become mature in those things, and now you can offer that gift to other people. And I think part of maturity is your capacity to be light, to laugh at yourself, to have a little bit of perspective, to carry a deep joy. And so where we're going over the next few weeks, actually all the way up to Thanksgiving, is that we're going to be in the book of Philippians. And Philippians is often called the epistle of joy. And part of the reason for that is it's a letter from Paul to the church in Philippi, And he's in prison, and he talks about joy a lot from a place like prison. And maybe metaphorically speaking, there are many of us who feel like we're trapped in our own minds or in our own lives or our own hearts or in specific places um, within our own lives. And we need a little bit of joy. We need a little bit of lightness on this journey uh, if we're going to figure out maturity and if we're going to pass something on to other people. Because that's who you want to gain something from, right? When you experience those people with lightness, you're like, oh, pass me on that thing. When someone's just serious all the time, you're like, yeah, like, we've had two dinners. I get your thing. Like, you know, like, maybe we're not going to have any more dinners, so to speak. Like, it's, sometimes it's a little bit overwhelming. So that's where we're going in the book of Philippians. So here's where I want to go. I want to set you up for it before I do my other thing of, like, we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this, we're going to do this. Like, the big idea that I have for us is what does it mean to be a Christian? I think what it means to be a Christian is our capacity to see Christ in everything. That's maybe my favorite definition that I've ever found, is that when I have such a perspective in life that I begin to see all of humanity, when I get to look at you and say, I see Christ in you, and I get looking at, I see Christ in you, and I see Christ in you, when I can eventually look at my enemy and say, I see Christ in you, how could I ever kill you? How could I ever shame you? How could I ever even talk bad about you? Because I see Christ in you. And then when you're able to look at all of creation, you say, I would never consume in such a way because Christ is in this world. And how dare I hurt the body of Christ? I would only want that body to do well and to thrive and to be at its very best. And I think that's the greatest definition. This is not a definition of exclusivity. Well, you're a Christian, you see, because you can abide these things and you've lived a life of sanctification and you were baptized at 13 and you have the Bible that's engraved with your name. No, no. Christ is your capacity to inclusively see Christ in everything else. And when I look at the letter of Philippians, this is where I see that Paul's moving. Paul's moving towards this bigger story of God that includes all things, and he does it with a lightness of joy. But it's this capacity to see that Christ is in everything, and that's the journey that we're going to go on over the next nine or so weeks in this book. So to talk about joy this morning, we're going to talk about a few things. We're going to talk about Jesus the Christ. Then we're going to talk about a fancy word. 
And after we understand a fancy word a little bit better, then we're going to take some selfies. But seriously, so have your phones ready. Uh, then, after we've taken a few selfies, then we're going to talk about a funny word. After we see that funny word, then, I mean, come on, Voldemort, my friends, am I right? Yeah, come on. The Dark Lord fans in here today, yes. I like it. Yeah, no, nobody? Horcruxes? I can say whatever I want. So. And then we're going to end with a smile. So follow along with me in Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, you know, like the pastors, priests, those peeps, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how, lo- how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's get old school and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Come on, church, let's do this thing. Let's read through this passage one more time and we're gonna break some things down together. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. Again, what's going on in this story is that Paul and Timothy, or Paul's in prison. And Paul often describes himself as a servant or as a slave to this greater reality of who Jesus is and where Jesus is taking us. And then there's this common phrase that's often in these passages of grace and peace, which was a very common introduction uh, back in the ancient world. But Paul's doing something a little bit different with it. And Paul always starts with this. Every single letter that Paul has, Paul starts with grace and peace. He's saying, this is what we want to be about as God's people, right? We always want to be people of grace and we always want to be people of peace. We always want to be people of grace, which is this unconditional love of God that meets you exactly where you're at. And again, if the big idea is our capacity to see Christ in everything, then how important is grace? Because what we're trusting is that we have the capacity to see Christ in ourselves. We have the capacity to see ourselves for who we are, and we need grace to do that. That there's an unconditional love of God that meets me exactly where I'm at, regardless of what I'm going through. Let's do a show of hands in here. And let's be a little vulnerable. Has anyone had a bad week? This week or ever? This week. Bad week this week. Yeah. You want to begin with a little bit of grace. You want a little unconditional love of God that meets you exactly where you're at. And for all of us who have had bad weeks, everybody would raise their hand at that point. This is how we want to begin things. And this is why Paul always begins this way. These are the tools that we want to pick up as we see Christ in everything. And then it's this idea of peace, which is simply this idea of shalom, this idea of wholeness, this idea of bringing everything together. Imagine not only is there an unconditional love of God that meets you exactly where you're at, but that this love of God brings wholeness to everything else around you. Because how awful would it be that the unconditional love meets you exactly where you're at and your neighbor is suffering? No, that's not a kind of world that I want to live in. 
I want to live in a world where we all taste of these things. And this is where Paul always begins and leads us and moves us towards. So Paul starts there, and then here's the stuff that, you know, is a little bit trippy for me. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Really, dude? All the time? You're thankful for all of us? You, do you ever think about the word all in your life? Are you thankful for all of the people in your life? No. I'm not, right? And when I think of all the people in my life, all the people that lead me to prayer, it's not usually because of joy, you know? And Paul is saying this. There's this all-inclusive language that honestly, sometimes a few of us in this room are a little bit skeptical, a little bit cynical, and it's hard for us to believe. Really, everyone? You've got joy for everyone here? Always, this is the way that you're praying? And it's this big, grandiose language for a reason because it's trying to tell you a bigger story of what reality could be. And maybe it's not always what reality is, but what if I could get to such a point of maturity and lightness that I'm beginning so much of my life with grace and peace that I'm carrying so much joy that I could even get to a place to fathom loving all of these people, praying all for all of these people all the time. I think it's hopeful. It's saying, man, imagine what that world would look like instead of the world where we're just carrying resentments and where we're just frustrated all the time and when we're just angry and when we go on social media, it's more negative than it's positive and they, oh, they didn't invite me and that person didn't call me back again and all oh, the things, right? Life's hard. And this is trying to give you this really positive, grandiose, big idea of saying, man, what would it look like for all of the time? And then Paul gives us some real things of, now let me tell you why I say all. Now let me tell you why it's always joy when I think about you. There's people in my life that when I think about, honestly, it's always joy when I think about them. First and foremost, have you met my wife? Come on, people. Seriously, you can clap for her. I'll clap for her. That's a great thing, yeah. <clears throat> I'm not trying to do the pastor moment of like, this is my hot wife, check her out. Like I'm not, it's not what I'm doing. She's all of those things. But I'm, I am not light. I am not generally joyful. I am serious. I'm strategic. I'm thoughtful. I'm focused. I'm not light. Joy is not like... That guy's got joy right there, brother. No! And I think that's why I married Carissa. There's something that's so freeing about her. There's something that's so light that can hold all of my seriousness, all of my questions, all of my cynicism, right? Brittany, she's not here today, so I get a brag on her. My work wife, she is so light. She is so joyful. Like we will get into the most serious things and like she can't, she'll like, she'll, she'll like be serious with me for like five minutes and then she'll be like, what a time to be alive, you know? Like she can't, she can't like hold the negativity with me, right? Administra administratively, that's awful because you know, you gotta like get things done. It's just like, oh, like nothing needs to be done in the world. We're just happy together. Woo, and that's fine. I love it. And we have a beautiful relationship because of that. If any of you have ever met Dakota Aiden, who's in our church, one of the greatest smiles and six packs on planet Earth, check out his Instagram. He's just filled with joy. He's just one of those people, like when he walks in, you're like, thank God that there are human beings like this in this room, right? Brian Tarada, you ever met that guy? 
Oh my gosh, I, I joke with Brian all the time. I'm like, if I did Instagram like you did Instagram, no one would be friends with me, you know? Like he's just like so light and like, look at me, I'm awesome and fabulous and you know, whatever. And if I did that, people were like, stop, please, you know? <laughs> and I think there's something to that. He gets away with it in a beautiful way because he's just filled with so much joy. He doesn't take himself so seriously on that. And then he's leading an organization like Be Free that is doing really serious work. I love people like Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama who do serious, serious work in this world, but there's a lightness to them. One of my mentors, Rob Bell, if you've ever met the guy, when I first met him, he had wrote Love Wins and like the entire evangelical church had like turned its back on him. He went from like mega church pastor, like barely being able to fill a room with 20 people. And when you're in the room with him, he's just like light. He's like, yeah, isn't that wild? And you're like, what? Like you just lost everything. And I'm always attracted to these kind of people in life because there's a deeper foundation that they have that roots them in a different way that honestly is not natural to me. I have my own strengths. I have my own gifts that I bring to planet earth. But joy, honestly, is not one of them. And I desperately look for it. And in my path of maturity and the path of maturity that I see, particularly in progressive and liberal environments, joy is something we desperately need because we know how to march. We know how to yell. We know how to scream. We know how to raise our voice. And there's things that you need to march, scream, and yell, and raise your voice for. Praise God. And there's also some things that we need some lightness for to change this world. Uh, I love what the Desmond Tutu, the Desmond Tutu. How about that? What Desmond Tutu says here. It says, we are fragile creatures, and it is from the weakness, not despite it, that we discover the possibility of true joy. Discovering more joy does not, I'm sorry to say, save us from the inevitability of hardship and heartbreak. In fact, we may cry more easily, but we will laugh more easily too. Perhaps we are just more alive. Yet as we discover more joy, we can face suffering in a way that ennobles rather than bitters. We have hardship without becoming hard. We have heartbreak without being broken. This is a man who survived 50 years of apartheid because of joy. He went through real suffering and real pain. There's a, there's a piece where Desmond Tutu talks about Nelson Mandela being in prison. And he's like, you know, it was good for him. He kind of needed those 30 years to lighten up a bit. And he's like dead serious when he's saying this. He's like, that's what, that's what South Africa needed. South Africa needed his leadership and him going through something. And it's fascinating to read Desmond Tutu talking about this. When he talks about his own journey, when the Dalai Lama talks about his own journey, they say, and we would never <clears throat> wish this upon anybody, but we know that we needed this time of suffering. It shaped us. And what we found in it allows us to offer a gift to the rest of the world. And we all know that to be true in here. Think about that hardest, most difficult thing, your prison, so to speak, like Paul, that you've been in. You don't wish it upon anybody, but how much has it shaped you? And do you find life there? Are there little seeds? Are there new life? Are there, is there flowers? Is there a garden that's springing up from that pain? And when I look around in this room, one of the greatest gifts for me of being a pastor in this community, is I'm not saying these things theoretically, I could literally pause right now and go around for 10 minutes and I could say, and I know your story and I know that that's true. And I know your story and I know that that's true. And I know your story and I know that that's true. And that's so beautiful to me. That this is not just theory and we're just saying, see how easy that is, just endure suffering and you'll get joy. No, that's jacked up. What I'm saying is, I know that many of you have endured suffering and you still have joy. And you bring a gift to this room. And at the same time, there's some of you that are in suffering and you're like, F you, man, I got no joy right now. That's okay too. 
be there, go through it. No, no one says it when they're in the midst of the storm, but I trust the narratives that we have, the beauty of the tradition of faith, of the scriptures, of a body of people like this, is that you have people say that I've been there too, and I made it the other side, and I don't wish it, but I'm better for it. And that's where Paul brings us in this narrative. And I think what's helpful for that is that we live in a culture and a time and a place on planet Earth where the expectations and what's being sold to us is that things are supposed to always work out, right? Materialistically, technologically, we're the most advanced society that the Earth has ever seen. I love this quote from The Spirit Level. It says this, which is a great book. It says, it's a remarkable paradox that at the pinnacle of human material and technological achievement, we find ourselves anxiety-ridden, prone to depression, worried about how others see us, unsure of our friendships, driven to consume with little or no community life, lacking the relaxed social contact and emotional satisfaction we all need. We seek comfort in overeating, obsessive shopping and spending, or become prey to excessive alcohol, psychoactive medicines, and illegal drugs. How is that we have created so much mental and emotional suffering despite levels of wealth and comfort unprecedented in human history. And it's a paradox. It's not like 300 years ago, like where most of society is still like living in an agrarian culture and like hoping that they're gonna live to be 30, right? That a lot of the world has changed and yet we still do so, deal with so much suffering. And, that's, and when you read through that list, let's be honest again, how many of you read that and you're like, yeah, there's a little bit of me in there. There's a lot of bit of me in there. If I'm being honest with myself, and I want a little bit more joy in my life that takes me somewhere else. There's a woman named Byron Katie, and I've shared this story in here before. She's a spiritual leader, kind of in our context. She's on Oprah all the time. Oprah fans, come on, there we go. And Byron Katie talks about this idea about how we see other people. And she wants us to see other people through a different lens and a different reality. And I think this is what Paul's getting to. If I really have a joy in me, then I really can say all and every time and always about how I see people. Because what I'm doing is I'm not changing them, I'm changing my perspective for how I see the world. And this is what Byron Katie gets to. That's the only way that you're going to be able to live this life, to actually have this joy always for all these people because they might still be crazy. Can I get an amen? amen? Yeah, they might still have their own shit. Can I get an amen, right? And so what happens is that you change your perspective. And so she offers this wonderful kind of perspective on things. She says, imagine a banana. You just did. Now imagine an orange. You just did. Now I want you to prove to me that you've ever eaten a banana or an orange. You cannot, but because of your experience of eating a banana or eating an orange at one point, that is how you now understand if I brought a banana out right now, there's something that goes in your mind about what that banana tastes like, correct? If I bring out an orange or clementine or something right now, there's something in your mind that tells you what that orange tastes like because of your experience at one point of eating a banana or an orange. You with me? Now imagine that person in your life who you love, who you love more than anything. You're not actually talking about that person right now in this moment. You're imagining experience that you had with that person and why you love and care about them. Does that make sense? Now imagine a person that you hate. What you're telling, that's not actually who they are today. That's your experience of who they were then. And that's what you're always bringing into the moment. And so you're judging them as a bad banana, even though today they might be a good, beautiful, ripe banana. But your experience with them was a bad banana. And so now for the rest of life, you say, always, I'm always joyful about, not them. They're, oh, what they've done to me. They are a bad, they lie to me. They hurt me. Oh, have you seen what they, I know what they're saying about me behind my back. That was then. You have no idea if that's the reality for now. 
but you hold on to that past experience and that prevents you from having joy in your life or seeing them in a different way or seeing Christ in them because you're still looking at a bad banana even though they're a ripe banana today. That was a lot of banana talk. (laughs) But that's where Paul's leading us. He's not just offering some foo-foo, like, you know, prosperity gospel kind of idea. He's saying, if you really want to see all of the world always in a different way, filled with joy, it's on you. It's not on them. It's on you to do your work. Because what else is there? The only reality, the only movie, the only Oculus goggles that you have on every day is your eyes. So that's how you got to see the world. The Dalai Lama says it beautifully in this way. It says the ultimate source of happiness is within us. Not money, not power, not status. Power and money fail to bring inner peace. Outward attainment will not bring real inner joyfulness. We must look inside. Sadly, many of the things that undermine our joy and happiness, we create ourselves. Any amens on that? Often it comes from the negative tendencies of the mind. Emotional reactivity, guilty. Or from our inability to appreciate and utilize the resources that exist within us, guilty. The suffering from a natural disaster, we cannot control. But the suffering from our daily disasters, we can We create most of our suffering, so it should be logical that we also have the ability to create more joy. This is a man who had to take two million people in refugee to another country. I think he has a PhD in experience of being able to say this in a way uh, that a lot of other people might not. And this is his conclusions that he comes to, is how are we working on the inner life that we have? How do we experience and find joy that we have? Because we can't control all of the things around us. So how do we think about the things that are actually going on? in our life. Back to the passage, please. Can you go back? Yeah, thank you so much. And all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because you were partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. A few things here that I want to help reclaim. One first is a fancy word. The fancy word here is good news. Z keeps stretching over there, getting his hamstrings out, I like that. And the word gospel is euangelion. We need to reclaim this word a little bit because a lot of you in this room, including me, when we hear the word good news or gospel, we actually have bad news in our mind. And the story generally went like this. You are bad, depraved, horrible things, and God was really mad, and the only way this God would be happy is if he killed his son and he bled out on a cross so that now this God could be happy with you. Sound familiar? That was the good news we were told. That is not the good news that the scriptures talk about. The good news that the scriptures talk about is this incarnational good news that God loves humanity so much that God would become human because God loves humanity because humanity is good. Not because you're awful, because God becomes what God loves. That's what God does, that Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about you. Jesus came to change your mind about God. That's the good news. God's always loved you. God's always seen you as made in God's image. God's always cared about you. God has always called you son or daughter. That's the good news. That's what Paul's trying to reclaim and remind these people of. The only capacity that I would even have to see Christ in everything, to carry this kind of joy, is because I have this perspective of good news in the world. All I'm doing is going around proclaiming the good work of the good news of the reality that I'm now living. Because now I've seen how much this God loves me, how much this God sees me made in in this God's image, and how much this God likes and enjoys me. So I want to go live that thing out. That's a different kind of good news. And this Jesus comes to show us the way of what this good news looks like. And it's a powerful word because good news isn't unique to the Bible. We get the word good news from Caesar. 
Caesar gave us good news, the word euangelion in Greek, 70 years before Jesus ever walked the earth. And the good news that happened is that anywhere Caesar would go, the praetorium would come, you know, like all the drums and the flags and the military, and they would spread the good news, they called it the euangelion of Caesar, that Caesar was spreading Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. How did Caesar spread the peace of Rome? By war and rape and pillage and killing, and that's how Caesar spread his peace. So when Jesus comes along, it's not a story of bad news like Caesar's. Caesar's story is, I killed everybody so that you can be happy in middle-class America. Aren't you happy? Jesus' story is, no, I come to take you on a path of suffering so that you can truly see your real image and so that you can bring hope and life and light and joy to every other human being. That's real good news. It's a different type of world to look at. And that's what's being reclaimed here. Yeah, you want to find joy? You're not going to find joy if the story that you've been telling yourself is bad news and that you're actually depraved and God is mad at you all the time and this guy had to like kill God's son just to be happy with you again. That's a weird story, to be honest. Good news is you've always loved me. You've always seen me as made in your image. You came incarnationally to show me what it means to be human, how to live a life of kindness and goodness and justice and love and grace. And those are the stories of Jesus that you constantly cross boundaries to all the people that were unlovable to show me that if even they could be loved, the prostitutes and the lepers and the Samaritans, then maybe I could be loved. And if I could follow you in that way, imagine how we could love the world. Come on. That's good news. And that's what Paul understands. That's the joy that Paul is carrying. That's why he can look at a group of people who are not perfect, But imperfectly, he can say, I always think of you and all of the time I have joy about you because the story that I have joy for is that your life is rooted in good news just as much as my life. And that this grace, this unconditional love of God that meets you exactly where you're at has found me and it can find you and it can remind you, it can reverse the amnesia of the real story of God in this world, which is that you've always been made in this image. And if you believe that, which will take you a lifetime to believe, by the way, Because if I took a quiz of this room right now, many of us, including myself, don't honestly believe that. There are parts of ourselves that we are ashamed of. There are parts of ourselves that we think are hidden. There are parts of ourselves that we honestly don't like. And this is the story of, of God saying, and I see it. And my unconditional love still meets you exactly where you're at. Would you take out your cell phones really quickly? Get them on selfie mode. Take a good look at yourself. You'll be fine. No, seriously, get them out. And what I want you all to do is I want you to take a selfie of yourself. Seriously, just take a selfie. I know it's no screen sun. Oh, yeah, no screen sun. Take a nice selfie. Look at you. Tag new Abby later. We'll do something with this, I promise you. This selfie is for you for this week. When you have that moment where you don't believe in yourself, when you can't experience grace, when there is no peace and shalom, when there is no joy to be found, when you look at somebody else and you say, there's no Christ in them, Take out this picture and remind yourself there's a good work and good news that was started in me. It's going to be brought to completion. 
If I can believe that about myself right now, how can I believe that about the world? That's me. That's me right here. I'm loved. There's grace for me. There's good news that's working in my life. Because if you can't believe it about yourself, you'll never believe it about the world. If you can't believe this good news and this good work that's being carried on to completion in you, how will you ever believe it about your enemy? How will the world ever change? What would it matter if everybody went to heaven at the end of the world if we were lived like hell now? What would it matter? Jesus came for this place to save this place to show us a better way. And this is what Paul is bringing us into. And now for a funny word. Affection. In the passage, Paul talks about that I love you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's this word, splachnon. Say splachnon with me. Yeah. Splachnon, we clean up in English to mean affection. The word actually means your bowels. I love you all with the bowels of Christ. It has a beautiful ring to it, you know? (laughs) What it's saying is in the deepest part of you, you ever say like, ooh, like that hit my gut, right? Or like, I got a gut feeling about this. Or like someone's talking to you and you feel it right here. This is what it's saying. Paul is saying, in your own reality and from your own perspective, I understand that you might not see the good work that's happening in somebody else's life, that you might not be able to have joy about all people always. I get that, that there's gonna be things that disrupt reality that prevent you from seeing yourself and other people that way. And so he says this, and that's why I don't love you from my own bowels. I love you from the bowels of Christ Jesus. It's really, this literally what he's saying. I love you from the deepest place of Christ because I understand this, that sometimes my reality is skewed. And so I'm looking for a greater reality here. This is why we pray, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Would your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? We don't have kingdoms anymore. So we're saying, would you give me your reality and your perspective for this world? That's what I'm looking for. Because sometimes what's in my gut is wrong. Sometimes what's in my gut, I can't see myself and humanity correctly. Sometimes what's in my gut, I'm angry all the time and I don't experience lightness and joy from this good news and good work that you're doing within me. So would you give me another reality? Would you give me a greater perspective? Would you put something so deep within me that I can experience this as if I was in your bowels, oh Jesus? (laughs) It's beautiful stuff. It's saying that, of course, we can't always hold on to this type of joy and to this type of deeper news, and we need something beyond ourselves. And at the end of the day, this is why we call ourselves Christian, because we believe that this good news is rooted in this Christ Jesus, and this good news that the more this Christ Jesus reshapes, transforms, heals, and matures my life, the more that I can see Christ in everything. Not because it's always going to work out well for me, because this is the radical way that I want to see the world. And why? Because I'm choosing to follow this Christ Jesus, and this is how this Christ Jesus saw the world. This is why we have those stories of the gospel. That's what real good news looks like. This is why two-thirds of the gospels are not about Jesus hanging on a cross. It's about Jesus looking at other human beings, telling them that they're human, telling them that they're valued, telling them that they have dignity, telling women who in a culture had no worth, saying, come on, you're my first disciples. It's why a woman found Jesus at the tomb. 
right? Endless story after endless story. It's why Jesus goes to the places filled with demon-possessed people. Every single person whose society would say, you're not human and you're not valued, this good news would come in and say, that is wrong, right? You are made in the image of God. And when you can begin to see the world in that way, now that's some joy. Would you stand and hold one another's hands? I want to end by telling you a story about the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu. They're having this conversation with one another, and Desmond Tutu says, the Dalai Lama, I love you so much because your face looks like a sourpuss. And uh, the Dalai Lama like, needs translation for that, doesn't speak English, and he's like, I don't understand this word. You know, it doesn't add up for me. He's like, you know, you always got like that, like, you just ate a lemon look. He's like, keep going, tell me what this means. And he's saying, there's always a deep smile about you even though you've endured so much, that he's like, I speak English, but whenever we go places, people don't come to hear me, Desmond Tutte, they come to hear you, Dalai Lama, not because they can understand you, because they can feel and experience you. And it's just your smile that heals the world. And he said, isn't that so true? That sometimes we see God cry when we look out at the world and we see the way that we treat refugees and migrants and broken people in the world and when we do nothing for it, when your children do nothing to reach out to the most broken, when we do nothing to reach out to those who have been most, what's been most taken from them is the dignity and the image of God. I think that makes God cry. It's about what God makes, makes God smile in this world is when your children go and offer a hand and remind anybody of who they really are. And, it, and the Desmond Tutu is just looking at the Dalai Lama and he said, it's just a smile. And he says it quietly and he says, it's like the very holy name of God is the smile. So what I want you to do right now is smile. Literally all of you, smile. You can do it. <laughs> now look at each other. This is going to be awkward, but do it. Look at, like deep in each other's eyes. Squeeze that hand and keep smiling. <laughs> it's so awkward, but so good. Look at some of you belly laughing. Look at some of you who've been thinking the whole time, when will this guy shut up? And in that moment, <laughs> there was some deep joy. And I think that's the reality of what Christ is bringing us into and what Paul is pointing out. The world is a serious and difficult place. Paul was in prison. But sometimes just a smile will remind you of this deeper reality of God's goodness in this world. And so when you have that difficult week, when you can't remember where grace comes from, when there's no peace and no joy to be found, Please, for the love of God, pull out that selfie and smile at yourself (laughs) and say, maybe it's going to be okay. Maybe joy can be found. Maybe this good work is happening in me and it'll be worked out to completion. I can't see it yet, but it's taking me somewhere. I'm going to pray for us. God, thanks for your goodness and for your joy that is in this room, that we can laugh together, that we can celebrate with one another. You guys are good. Yeah, we're going to do more conversation time. Yeah, so that's okay. No, that's good. No, that's fine. But thanks for, you know, that's good. That's all good. Oh, yeah, that's good. So, God, thanks for laughter. God, for all the serious things going on in our life, we know that you are there with us and that your unconditional love meets us exactly where we're at. And God, in the midst of our seriousness and in the midst of our healing and in the midst of our transformation, in the midst of our maturity, would there be some lightness and there be some joy? 
trusting, God, that it's not on our own reality, but from the deep reality that comes from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you find those same three or four people around you and answer this question? How can you participate in joy this week? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey Podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.